Church, like I said in the beginning, I want to start or continue talking about the subject of evangelism today. And uh, in particular, I want to talk about our role in evangelism. Like I said, we started that last week, and that's going to be a, a continuing theme for us in the coming weeks and probably the coming months. Uh, I just believe, I believe wholeheartedly everything that I am, everything that I have, I believe that God has laid this on my heart as, a, as, a, as messages for me to deliver to the congregation. I believe all day long that he has laid this message for me to give you guys, and I believe all day long that he is wanting to use Bemis United Methodist Church as a catalyst to our community, as a catalyst to share the gospel, to share the good news of Christ to our community, to be the good news of Christ to our community. Jesus tells us to do this, folks. We've talked about what we call uh, the Great Commission before. You find that in the Gospel of the Matthew, the very, very end, the last chapter. Go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Scripture is rife. Scripture is full of these, of these directives. As, uh, th this, is our, this is our job. This is our duty. This is our obligation as people who have already received the grace and the mercy of God. The only reaction that we have to that is that we go out and tell other people about it, for goodness sakes. Take a look at Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 14 and 15. We're just going to look at those today, just a couple short verses as an example of what I'm talking about. But again, these are all through the Bible, all through the Bible. Romans 10, verse 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul writes, how then can they call on the, one that, on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's the word of God for the people of God. Like I said, evangelism is just a big churchy word for the process of responding to our call to share the good news of Jesus with others. It's to work alongside with the Holy Spirit, bringing others to Jesus Christ, sharing our faith with people who don't know Christ, sharing the story of how Jesus saves us, sharing the story of how Jesus saved us from death and from separation from God and welcomed us with open, open arms. I told you guys one, one thing last week that I think is the big, one of the, one of the biggest, there's a lot of them, but I think one of the biggest obstacles uh, to evangelism in our church, and I would argue particularly in South Georgia, is that we often think that most people know what the gospel's all about. We just kind of take it for granted that people we're around know a little bit about what Christianity is. And I also told you, this is just not true anymore. Folks, this may have been true 30, 40, 50 years ago, but it's not true any longer. People don't know what Christianity is. We may think they do because we grew up in the church. Most folks don't. Most folks don't. We can see that through our church attendances um, and the way that attendance has slacked off in all of our churches, the way that committed discipleship has slacked off throughout our churches. It's not part of the mainstream anymore. It, you know, used to, and this is a good thing as far as I'm concerned, but used to there was a, there was a societal obligation that you had to be part of a church. Y'all remember those days? There was like this expected social norm that you were going to be a part of the church. 
since that no longer exists, we have seen a great falling away. And that's just one example of, that I want to give you. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, like I said. Because I think church membership is serious, and I think that it's, it's reserved for people who are actually committed Christians. Anyway, I'll go back to what I said a second ago. Christianity is not the norm any longer. A 2020 report that was written or uh, put out by the Pew Research Committee showed that, and it was done between the years of 2018 and 2019, <laughs> showed that 65% of people who were polled uh, stated their religion or claimed their religion as Christianity, 65%. Now, you might say or you may think that that's, well, okay, that's not bad. That's not, that's not an awful number. At least it's over half the people in the United States, right? Well, that may be the case, but when you consider the fact that 10 years earlier, one decade earlier, that number was 75%, it puts things in a whole new light and it puts things in a whole new perspective. That people who claimed, and these, I'm not even talking about committed Christians, people who are actually striving and, 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 and being a part of the life of the church. These are just people who claim Christianity. These may be people who never go to church, but they just claim it. So 65% of the United States claimed at least that Christianity was, was their religion. Ten years prior, it was 75%. The number of people in the same poll who, who uh, referred them to themselves as Protestant declined by 10%. The number of those who defined themselves as Catholic declined by 3%. Now here's another one for you. Two of the fastest growing, not two of, the two fastest growing religious categories in the United States Number one is what we call the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. We call these people the nuns, and those are people with no religious affiliation. That is number, the number one fastest-growing religion in the United States. The number two are those religions that are not Christianity, all other religions besides Christianity. We've got to come to the face of the facts. We've got to come uh, to terms with the fact, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, that we live in a post-Christian United States. I'm not saying that's bad, I'm not saying that's good, but the fact of the matter is, this is where we are. In 2022, we are no longer what can be defined by any rational explanation, a Christian country. Okay? We need to come to terms with that. We are living in a post-Christian society. That should give us a little resolve, folks. That's not necessarily bad news for us, church. Remember that great commission I talked about earlier? Remember Romans 10, 14 and 15, read a second ago? With the knowing, having this in mind that we are in this post-Christian world should give us greater resolve to fulfill that great commission to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. It should be increased, our desire and our passion for sharing the gospel and for being the gospel, given those facts, should be greater really than it ever has been in our lives. Don't let these facts get you down. I don't say you. I don't tell these. Uh, tell y'all these statistics to depress anybody. Don't let it get you down. Opposed to let, as opposed to letting us get us down. As opposed to letting us, or get, this is what we like to do a lot. As opposed to letting us, allowing these statistics to give us fuel to bemoan the sad state of society. We should be invigorated. We should be invigorated at the opportunity that we have to share the greatest news of all time to a community, to a state, to a nation that desperately needs to know the saving grace, the loving grace, 
the wonderful mercy that's available to us through Christ. Y'all, we are, we are Christ ambassadors. And I told you this last week. We, the church, are what Jesus has chosen, what God has chosen. As frail as we are, as imperfect as we are, we are the vehicle which God has chosen to spread His message to the ends of the earth. People will never know this. People will never know the gospel. People will never know the good news of Jesus. They'll never know what many of us have experienced, and that is that great heart transformation unless somebody tells them. They're not going to know it unless somebody tells them. They will never know an authentic relationship with God unless we tell them, church. Paul essentially says the same thing. Can y'all throw that scripture back up there real quick? Paul gives us kind of a rundown in this scripture. Let's read it again before I point something else out to you. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? Something you may look over or something that you may not notice when you read those few verses is Paul kind of gives them to us in a reverse order of this process. So if you look backwards, if you read these scriptures backwards, you see kind of this process of telling people about the gospel, telling people about Christ, how it kind of unravels and how it works and how it brings people to believe. Read them backwards with me and I'll show you what I'm talking about. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? Number one, we are sent people. This verse speaks to our, our sentness, if you will. We were sent to be messengers of God. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? That is us. It's not just me standing behind this pulpit. It's every one of you. We are all called to preach, to go and tell the good news of Christ. What happens after that? How can they hear without even somebody preaching to them? We go and tell. We are called. We are sent. And then we go and we preach to them or we tell them the good news. Simple as that. We share the good news of Christ with others. What happens after we share the good news? How can they believe in one they have not heard? After they have heard, what happens? They come to believe. We're sent, we preach, or we tell, they hear, and they come to believe. Lastly, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? What happens after they believe? They call upon the name of the Lord. Do y'all see that process unraveling there backwards? We are sent. We tell people about Christ. They hear the message of the gospel. They believe the message of the gospel, and they call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 13, by the way, says this. What happens when they call upon the name of the Lord? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I just think that's really cool how Paul puts that. He concludes that scripture with how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The Apostle Paul is quoting a scripture from the book of Isaiah here, by the way. And your Bible probably notates that. 
Back in Isaiah, that particular scripture referred to uh, the people who had announced the good news that the exiled, exiled people of Israel would be able to return to the land. Paul applies it to Christians who proclaim the ultimate good news to the world around them. Let's go back to that, sh that question we asked last week. Let's go back to that, that shocking question that I asked you guys to consider when we watched our video last week. How much do you have to hate somebody? How much do you have to dislike somebody? And I didn't throw this in that this part of I didn't throw this one into part of that equation last week. But how do we simply have to how much do we simply have to not care about people? How much do we simply have to not care enough about people to share with them what we have been so graciously given? How much do we simply have to not care about people to believe that we have the answers for people either spending eternity with God or eternity in separation from God and we don't tell them about it? How much do we have to not care about people to believe that we have life-giving answers in this life to true peace, true happiness, true joy, true love, and to not tell people about it. How unconcerned do we have to be about Valdosta, Lowndes County, the state of Georgia, and the United States populations to believe that we have these answers and yet we don't tell people about it? Folks, we need to reclaim our compassion. We need to reclaim our compassion for people. We need to reclaim our hunger to see lost people come to Christ, to see lost people made whole. We need to reclaim our devotion to Jesus and to share in the gospel with people who need it the most. We need to recover our anguish for people. We ever had anguish for people, but we need to recover it. And if we've never had it, we need to pray for it. People are suffering, people who are empty, people who are dying because of their sin and because of their separation from God. We need to reclaim those things, folks. If we've lost this, if we've lost this compassion for other people, this drive to see other people be made whole, this drive to see other people, by the way, when we get the afterlife, or God forbid if we've never had this, it's time to get on our knees. It's time to repent. It's time to plead to God to have our hearts broken for people, for every single person that's made in the image of God, yet who still do not know, does not know Him, do not know Him. We need to get our heads on straight, folks. We need to get our heads out of our proverbial rear ends about some things. And we need to remember one thing, because this is one thing that I see a lot of us being guilty of. We are not against non-believers. I can't imagine, really, <laughs> I guess I could, but it's on up there. I can't imagine a more non-biblical, non-scriptural, non-Jesus-like sentiment than the idea of it being us versus them. We are not against non-believers we're not against people who are not yet Christians we're not against people who were different religions we're not against people who have no religion we're not against people who aren't like us church we are for 
people who aren't like us. We are for people who are not Christians. We are for them in every possible way because we want more than anything. We want more than anything, or we should want more than anything, to have them know Christ as Savior and Lord. We can't do it if we think they're our enemies. We can't do it if we think we're supposed to turn our noses up at people. We certainly can't do it if we hate people. Don't try to share the gospel, by the way, with somebody you don't like. It's not going to work. We do this not because we're better than people, folks, because just like them, we were once stuck in our own sin. We were once stuck and we were once separated from God. What did we get? We got some inconceivable grace. We got some inconceivable mercy. And we got some inconceivable salvation. We get stuck in our righteousness and our self-righteousness so doggone often. We want to turn our noses up at people. We want to act like these people don't exist. We want to act like we're better than for some reason. We're not. We're sinners. We're sinners saved by grace and grace only. It's only the grace of God that has saved us and put us in these pews this morning. Folks, we should want people to know the peace that we know. We should want to see people in eternity. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in, in the future, but here's another thought for you. Here's something we don't get to do. We don't get to sit back and complain about the sad state of the world when we're not sharing the gospel with people. We don't get to complain about politics. We don't get to complain about societal issues. We don't get to complain about cultural issues, etc., etc., etc. If we are sitting on our own righteous indignation and not sharing the good news of Christ with people. Yeah, we've got a problem. America's got a big problem. S-I-N. That's where it all starts, folks. You want the answer to racism? Share the gospel. You want the base of racism? It's sin. You want to know what the basis of our, of our turning away from our Christian sexual ethic is? Sin. And we reap the, we, we, we reap, reap the rewards. Whatever it is, with all these issues that we face, they begin with that little thing. What happens when one person sins? It expands to bigger groups of people. What happens when bigger groups of people sin together? It expands to bigger groups of people. What happens when communities sin together? It expands. It expands, and they become cultural issues. They become societal problems. You want to fix society? Start telling people about Christ. You want to fix society? Start talking about Christ. Start telling people about Christ. Stop depending on all of these avenues and all of these people outside of the church to try to do the mission of the church. That's not their job. It's not our job. It is our job. It's not our job to rely on people and on organizations and other avenues outside of the church to share the gospel with people. It's not what they do. It's our job. So if you want to see society change, start telling people about Christ. Church, I can't force anything. I can't force anything on people. I can't force this church to do anything. I can't force anybody to be anything. But what I hope, what I hope is that somehow God will utilize this message and other messages like it to place some conviction in our hearts. I hope that God will utilize 
this message, other messages that I believe wholeheartedly that he's given me to help open our eyes to the reality that being a Christian, being a part of Christ's church is so much more than coming on Sunday morning. It's so much more than going to a few meetings. It's so much more than going to a few classes. It is a movement. And I've used that word so often. You want to know what God's kingdom is? We talked about God's kingdom for several weeks. God's kingdom is a movement. The church is a mission. It is a movement. It is not something that was ever meant to be stagnant. It was not something that was ever meant to be a social club. It's not something that we do on Sundays, we profess on Sundays, and go out and look and act and speak like the rest of the world Monday through Saturday. The primary mission of the church is to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's it. All of the other stuff that we do is extra. The very foundation of being the church is to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Period. Jerry, why are you so serious about this stuff? <laughs> why do you why do you why do you why do you preach such such difficult messages? Number one, I feel like God gives them to me. And I don't preach them to condemn anybody in the church. I, th I just think that they're factual messages. I think they're factual. I think God gives them to me. How can you, how can you argue with what Paul has written right there? Why are you so serious about this stuff, Pastor? Because Jesus was serious about me. That's why. For one thing. Because Jesus was serious about me. Because Jesus changed my life. Because Jesus changed the way that I think. Because Jesus changed the way that I speak and I act and I move through the world. He made me a little bit less selfish, a little less self-centered, and a little more God-centered, a little more others-focused. Why am I so serious about sharing the gospel with people? Because, because it doesn't just stop at me, because I've seen lives change. Beyond myself, I've seen so many lives that have changed. When people are brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I see people change. I see churches change. I see communities change when this happens. If you don't have that conviction, I'm going to plead with you to pray for God that you receive it. Y'all, if we have lost, I thought about this last week, I thought about this last week when I offered the invitation. But we, if we have been sitting in these church pews, holding these pews down for years, and we have lost the ability to have God convict our hearts, we are in some serious trouble. And I am wasting my breath. If we don't have this passion about us, we need to, number one, reclaim it if we did once have it. Number two, if we've never had it, plead to God to give it to us. <clears throat> Yesterday I performed a, ser a uh, service, a, a funeral service, <clears throat> for Miss Sarah Peters. Many of y'all knew Miss Sarah. I, I barely knew her. I had one chance to meet her before she passed away. And uh, <clears throat> it, was very, it was pretty interesting. The family I asked me, they told me as I was talking to them about funeral arrangements and maybe some of the stuff that um, they might want me to say. They told me that one thing Sarah would have wanted is for people to know the love of Christ. And they said, Pastor, one of the best things you could probably do to honor our mom at her funeral is to preach the gospel, is to preach the story of salvation, 
just in case there's somebody there who's never heard it. And I've never done that before, folks. I've, I've seen that done before. A lot of other pastors, it's just something I've, I've never have chosen to do. But because they, because they requested, I did it. I did it. And, and I talked about Miss Sarah for a little while, and I concluded it with that. I concluded it with sharing the gospel, the basic story of salvation. With those people who were gathered there at the funeral yesterday. I'm going to share that story with you guys <clears throat> as I wrap up. Because maybe you've never heard it. If we don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, I've got to wonder if people have ever heard and received actual salvation. That is possible. Folks, it's possible for us to have been occupying a church pew for, 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 for years and years and decades and not actually be saved. I don't know if that's a revelation to some folks, but it's, it's a reality. So I don't know. And I've always rested in that. I've told you guys last week, I've always rested in the fact that the, the, the people in our congregations who were actually here, who were actually coming to church and coming to church religiously, were saved. I don't know that. Maybe God shot that into my heart last week. But I don't know that. Only you and God know that. So I'm going to tell you the basic message of salvation just in case. Just in case there is somebody here who's never heard it. Just in case there is somebody here who has never actually offered themselves to Jesus Christ. The message of salvation is relatively easy. It's relatively simple. We have a problem when we are born into this earth or onto this earth. I mentioned it before. It's called sin. We have a sin problem when we are first born into this earth. It's not about being a good person. It's not about being a bad person. There are plenty of people out there who are much better people than I am who are not Christians in a lot of regards. It's about the simple fact that we are born with a sin nature. It's something that we absolutely cannot avoid. We are born with a natural disposition to rebel against God, to not seek His will, to be selfish and self-centered, as opposed to being God-centered and other-centered. We can't avoid it. I gave you the example last week. If you ever had a, if you ever had a two-year-old child, you know that we're born into sin. A two-year-old can lie and manipulate with the best of them. It's just a condition. It is the human condition that we are born into. So what's the problem with that? The problem is our Creator is a holy God. Our Creator is perfect in every way. And as much as powerful as our Creator is, as awesome as our Creator is, there's a problem here. Our Creator cannot be in the presence of sin. He gave us that choice. <clears throat> and we messed it up. But our Creator cannot be in the presence of sin. So He's got a problem. We have a problem. And our answer that our Creator gave us came in the person of Jesus Christ. Read the Old Testament and understand that all the ways we tried to save ourselves, all the, all the ways that you know, God gave all these rules, and we said we just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So God gave us the answer. And he gave us the pathway through Christ, through the birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. I may have mentioned this last week. I think I did. I mentioned it at a funeral yesterday. Yes, there is an afterlife. <clears throat> There's either You're either going to spend it with God or you're going to spend it separated from God. I told you, I don't know what hell looks like. There's several descriptions in there in Scripture, several, a lot of beliefs over the centuries. But I can assure you it's not good. Anything eternal that is separated from God is not good. 
and I assure you that it's real. People ask, well, why does God send people to hell? God does not send people to hell. Okay? God does not have a problem with people. God has a problem with sin. That's why he gives us this free choice. This free choice. He's not going to force it on us. He's not going to force us to believe. He's not going to force us to have faith. He gives us a choice. He gives us that free will. <clears throat> So salvation came, salvation from sin, by the way. I think that's very important to explain, too. We're not being saved from God, we're being saved from sin. That gets misunderstood a lot of times. We don't enter this world with God itching to send us to hell in the afterlife. I told you guys that last week, Second Peter 3.9, I believe it is, said he wishes no one, you know, wishes that on no one. So he gave us Christ. He gave us Christ. He gave us someone who was fully human and also fully divine. And Christ went on that cross and he took all those sins on us. He took the sins of the world, past, present, and future, on him. Think of that. Run that through your mind for just a second. We tend to think of Jesus simply as a man a lot of times hanging up on that cross. That was God hanging up on that cross. If we believe what we say we believe in Christian doctrine, we believe that Christ was fully human and fully divine. That is God giving himself on that cross. Taking on our sins, taking on the sins of our ancestors and all those who will come beyond us. The sins of the world, taking them upon himself. How awesome is that? And he offers it for free. He offers it for free. There are two steps to salvation. There are two steps. Repenting, recognizing and repenting of our sins and faith in Christ and faith in what Christ has done for us. And that's it. That's it. That's what gives us a reconciled relationship with God. Everything that comes after is gravy. And y'all know that I love to talk about everything that comes after. But that is essentially the start of the Christian life. That is how we are reconciled and justified before God. Recognition penance from sins and accepting on simple faith simple faith the gift that God gave us through Jesus Christ if you haven't if you have not I pray today that the Holy Spirit will convict you I pray today that the Holy Spirit will just give you a basic understanding of what sin is that will lead you into simple repentance. And by the way, there's another word that, that gets really messed up. Repentance is not a bad word. It's a beautiful word. It's not a mad preacher shaking his finger in your face. Repentance just means to turn around. It means to do a 180. It means to reorient ourselves the way that we think into the will of God and away from our own self-will. I pray, I plead, and I pray that if this hadn't happened to you, that God will lead you to repentance and that salvation that Christ offers through simple, simple faith in Him. Gracious Heavenly Father, on the night in which Jesus gave Himself up for us, 
took bread, offered you thanks, he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, God, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you. Gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ. Make us one with each other. Make us one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And if you regularly attend Bemis, you can tell that we're doing uh, communion a little bit differently this morning, because I want, I want you guys to do something a little bit differently. If you're being convicted, if you're being convicted, I'm going to ask you to give up that pride. I'm going to ask you to set that aside, realize that is a human ailment. And I want you guys to do some stuff for me this morning. The uh, praise team is not going to play this morning. They're going to help me serve communion here in a second. So what I'm going to ask you is that after you receive communion, if you've never had a relationship with Christ, goodness sakes, I'm going to ask that you simply repent recognize your need for repentance and I'm going to ask that you offer that to God I'm going to ask that you offer your repentance to God I'm going to ask that you place your faith in Jesus Christ for what he has done for you for your salvation if you feel convicted of such you don't have to tell me about it you can do it right there where you're sitting right there in your pew you can pray these prayers if you feel so led to come and kneel at this rail and do so come do so for goodness sakes if you feel so led to do so to come tap me on the shoulder and say, Pastor, I've never, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever done this. I don't think I've ever fully, really accepted Christ. I will pray with you. But that's never happened. I want you to do that this morning. If you are not in that category, if you do believe, and if you do have assurance of your salvation, I'm going to ask you to do something else. I'm going to ask you after you receive communion this morning to find somebody else in this church, one of your brothers and sisters. Find somebody who you did not come here with in a car, and I want you to pray with them. I want you to pray over them. I want you to pray, Heavenly Father, convict my heart for my community. Heavenly Father, convict my heart for non-Christians. Heavenly Father, convict my heart to serve and to love everybody in the Valdosta, Lowndes County community, Bevis community. Help us work alongside us. Help us to work alongside the Holy Spirit in bringing other people to Christ. God, I'm sorry. If you're not convicted, God, I'm sorry for, 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 for failing this mission. Please convict my heart. Please give this conviction to my brother and my sister.
that I'm praying with now. Folks, numbers, church attendance numbers don't bother me. One iota. What I want to see are people who are passionate about Christ and passionate about that community because that's what God wants. God wants people who are passionate about the gospel and about their community. Christ our Lord invites to his table all of those now who wish to receive.